Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. My name is Joe Devine and today I was joined by Alex Stewart and also Alex K. Jelski, who is the editor-in-chief of The Athletic UK. Alex's job is as the uh, top editor of a team of editors who run all of the journalists who write all of the football stories for The Athletic in the UK. Um, And it was a pleasure to speak to him. We spoke to him today mostly about um, what an editor does, what his day-to-day is like, what he does when he gets up on a Monday, how that job works and how you pick stories and how you work through them, stuff like that. And also a little bit about how it's been going at The Athletic so far. This is something that only started in the UK at least uh, nine months ago in the summer, so the beginning of this football season. They have nearly a full season under their belt now. Lots of people have been talking about them um, and we've been working with them for a while. So we thought it was a good idea to get Alex in and talk a little bit more about that. So um, I hope you enjoy today's episode. It's really interesting to listen to. It's a little additional one on the on the end of this week here. We've released two this week. I hope you've enjoyed the extra bonus content. Um, and I'm delighted to tell you also that next week uh, on Tuesday, the episode being released will be of a conversation I am yet to have, but will be having with James Montague about his new book, 1312. And um, that's all about football ultras all over the world. So I'm really excited to talk to him about that. Um, But anyway, I hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode, of course, is supported by The Athletic, where you can get a seven-day free trial and 50% off an annual subscription by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. Um, So I hope you uh, go and check that out, um, particularly after today's episode with Alex. If you find it interesting and you want to read more about what they're doing and indeed read what they are doing, um, you can go there. So uh, thanks for downloading and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Alex K. Jelski. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming. Um, you are the editor-in-chief of The Athletics Football or UK? No, or? The Athletic UK, although that is only football these days. Right, okay. When it expands to include more sports, if it does, will you be the editor-in-chief of that too? I'm afraid I can't comment on speculation. <laughs> okay, good to know. Will you do equestrian sports given how much you love animals? We're going to focus on Quidditch. <laughs> Actually, there's probably quite a big market for Quidditch. Have you seen the people playing it? In the it looks park. like fun. I've seen it in Fins, Finsbury Park. Right. I think it's really. Yeah. I don't Who really, would do that? I don't know. I don't really know anything about Harry Potter. Have I've you not read Harry Potter? Not read it. It's like so, you know how you just had to have certain things that never happened to you because right. you missed you missed it in terms of what is you, your age? Do you mind me asking? Jeez, I mean, are you are you over thirty five or not? I'm thirty six. You're thirty six. Yes. Okay, so that's nearing sort of, yeah. middle age. Yeah. So you were too old when the first Harry Potter book came out, maybe to. Yeah, exactly. It's the same reason I've never seen The Lion King. It's just one of those things. <coughs> wow. It just gets worse and worse, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, shall I, I go? <laughs> the future of football journalism is in the hands of the a present. man it's not, it's not who's the not watched the... <laughs> hey, so, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, top dog. You're the top dog. And presumably you were involved in hiring many of the people or all of the people beneath the top dog? This, yes, well, certainly most of them, yeah. How many have you got now? I, I don't, I genuinely don't know, is that bad? Um, in the tens. What have we got? We've got <laughs> in the tens. Well, absolutely. Every Premier League club, some Championship clubs, Scottish clubs and a bunch of general writers. I don't know, there's probably about 50 or so. Right, yeah. Plus lots of people in the office. So it's been going since last summer. Correct. 
And uh, how is it going? It's going fantastically. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Okay, that's really cool. And um, how have you found uh, adjusting to a new sort of uh, environment? I mean, it's a bit different to traditional broadcast sports reporting and also online stuff, right? I mean, it seems a little bit like for the writers, the pressure is off. I assume that doesn't, isn't the same for you in terms of how many pieces you have to turn around on no, a regular basis. Okay, so the, the writers all of a sudden might have gone from a job at a local paper where they had to write I don't know, eight things a day, six things a day, mm. and now they're writing three or four a week. But because the content has to be content that you can't find somewhere else, I think that's much harder. Yeah. If, you, if you're a football journalist and you know, right, I'm going to the, fo- the game tonight and that means I'm going to do the match report, the ratings, the quotes, there's a quite a lot of, although it can be um, similar to what other people are doing, there's quite a lot of security in knowing that that's what you're going to do. Right. Whilst if you think every week I've got to produce three things that no one else is going to write, that's bloody hard. Right. What do you think the different kind of discipline is in that? I mean, because presumably most of the people that you've hired have come from those environments and are now in the new one. What are, what are the different disciplines that they have to pursue to do their job? They need to make sure that they're spending more time finding out actual information. Right. Because if people are going to pay to read us, they need to learn something. Right. Because, and, which, and I think a lot of them in their previous roles were so busy. Mm. Did they actually have time to become friends with players' families or agents or actually spend time really studying the football that's playing. I mean, even the matches are quite interesting. So if you sit in a football press box, quite a lot of people are like this because, Mm. no, they're not playing the piano. um, (laughs) They are typing whilst the football's happening. They don't get to watch the football. I was lucky enough in a previous life to go to Real Madrid, Barcelona, Champions League semi-final. And Messi scored like one of the best goals he's ever scored ran from the halfway line. And I never saw it until I got home. <laughs> and so I think all of a sudden our writers are able to actually sit and watch football. Right. And, you, and you're going to have a completely different view on a, on a game of football if you watch it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and sorry, I know that sounds silly, but the, the, jobs, the job previously often stopped you from watching football. Right, yeah. So, I mean, the way you describe it, they must love it. Yeah, except there's a pressure, isn't there? Right. Because... Because the articles have to be good enough and mm. the ideas have to be good enough. And that means that it might get sent back to them. It's like, no, this needs more of this, more of this and more of this because we have to try and have really high standards because we're trying to say to a Leicester City fan, don't read all this stuff that's very good and free. Come read this that's hopefully got more depth. Right. That's tough. How much latitude do they have in ideas generation? Or is it... Um, are you? Are you commissioning? Are you focusing? Are you giving free reign it by and large? It depends on each writer. I mean, obviously, as, a, as an editor, you want your writers to, have to be full of brilliant ideas mm. because when you're trying to keep across so many clubs, it's quite tough to remember who's sort of what's the big issue at Nottingham Forest and you know why are Rangers on a bad run. Um, you want your writers to be so ingrained with those teams and so knowledgeable that they have their own ideas, but obviously you have some as well. And sometimes with any job I imagine if you're so ingrained in something something might be obvious to you and you don't realise it's interesting so mm-hmm. that's our job is to try and tease that out so what I think people listening will be interested in and what I'm interested in is what happens on a day to day basis so we, we like to ask people this when they come in recently we had Mark Molesley who is a football coach and we've had uh, uh, analytics writers and stuff like that before and um, we hear these people talk about their jobs quite a lot in interviews but never what do you do when you arrive on a Monday? I mean, is it okay for me to ask you when you get in first thing on a Monday, yeah. what, what you're doing and what the day a- actually looks like for someone with your job? 
glass of water first right. thing I do because <laughs> I try and get there before anyone else does so I can just have a bit of peace and quiet right um, and to intimidate them into being there for longer is that the idea no That's not at all I just, like, I just like a few minutes sure just to sort of plug my laptop in and mm. you know do any sort of last minute um, personal stuff um, glass of water sit down and start get my pad out and start writing down all the things that I've probably been noting down that I think are interesting so that right. when the phone calls start coming in I can commission interesting pieces. And to be honest, from nine o'clock, the phone will ring nonstop. The, you know, everyone calls in in the morning to discuss what they're up to that week, that day, what they're planning for the you know big event that's coming up in four weeks. So it's almost like a strange call center um, every morning because there's a bunch of editors and you don't really know who you're going to get, right? I mean, of course I can proactively decide, right, so I'm going to call David Ornstein and have a chat with him. Mm -hmm. But it's more likely that, the phone rings, you pick it up and it's like, oh, I'm now going to talk about Sheffield United for the next 10 minutes. Right. Um, so that is what the beginning of the day is like. And I love all that bit because although it's quite hectic, that's where all your good ideas come from. Do you feel like you have to sort of know everything then to have all of those conversations? It feels like there's quite a lot of pressure. You do, with a, but you also need to ask all the stupid questions. Right. Because the whole point is that the experts in those teams know everything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know everything. You have to know what you think is interesting. Right. And so if you ask dumb questions like, why are Sheffield United fifth? Or what do you think the biggest change is since whatever Mourinho yeah. came in? Then by asking stupid questions, you can hopefully make the writers realise that what they know is interesting. And then you say, right, okay, but if we go, then go and find out this, 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 and this, that'll make a really good article. So in a way, you're the audience or you're like the proxy for the you audience. You have to try to be the audience and right. remember, and that's particularly hard. So in previous jobs, when I worked for national papers, it was quite easy to be the audience because you were the audience. You were the national audience who mm -hmm. might be a little bit interested in Aston Villa's Carabao Cup run and all the athletics going on at the, um, in London or whatever. Whilst now you have to pretend, no, who is reading this Sheffield United content? It's a Sheffield United right. fan. So, What do they care about? What do they also, already, what do they know, already right? know? Yeah, right? I'm a Tottenham fan. I know more about Tottenham than most people because I mm -hmm. go all the time and read it and I'm involved in journalism. Mm. Um, so for Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitbrook who write on Spurs for us, for them to write an article that's going to tell me something I don't know, that's got to be the benchmark, right? Because Does that mean they have a particularly hard time? Oh, they, oh I mean, <laughs> Charlie speaks to me more than he speaks to his wife. They're I lovely think, guys, by the way. They've been on the podcast as they well. They are really awesome. And I just, they just have the worst job because three of us are Tottenham fans. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just hell for them. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but my point being, that's the way you've got to think. That a subscriber's paying money, so you've got to tell them something they don't know. It's not that you're telling... You, you, what you might find interesting about Everton is because you don't know anything about Everton, but someone who goes every week will know a lot. Mm. Yeah. And how difficult is it? Do you, I mean, obviously you've got, you've got people subscribing to a site where part of the premise at least is that it is fan specific. Yes. And that you get catered for as I'm a Southampton fan. It's unusual to get that degree of quality of Southampton writing week in, week out, which is great for me. Mm -hmm. Little plug there. Um, Thank you. But to what degree are you also thinking, well, maybe this would be of interest to, you know, as a Southampton fan, I might also be interested in how another team's doing because I've got an interest in tactics or because I've got an interest in a player that's there that might move to what, what degree of cross-pollination is there in that? Or are you just going, a Leeds fan's going to like this because X? I think you start off with that because it, who's going to read it first and foremost? make sure it's good enough and interesting enough for them. 
And then if you think the quality of it's good enough and the sort of appeal can be wide enough, then you put it into a wider audience. But then you've got pieces that are more designed for the wider audience in the first place. So a couple of the sort of early pieces that Adam Crafton wrote for us was how does a transfer window actually work? All mm. the sort of stories from behind the scenes, you know, that was not directed at one set of fans and was hugely successful. And then he did a piece about grief in football and how you deal with it when there's stuff going off on off the pitch and you're supposed to just carry on. Again, that wasn't directed at anybody. It was directed at everybody and it can still work. What's an example of something that maybe started or are there examples of something that started as just a, as a club piece but got to the point in the editing process or whatever where you felt this actually has a greater appeal and maybe we can push it out to other I think, fans as well? I think lots of interviews do. <clears throat> right. Um, I mean, you, you've had Roshane in here who does West Ham for us. Um, and I think he, you know, he messaged us to say, I'm interviewing Callum Davenport. And you're like, okay, lovely. Uh, well, how many times did you actually play for West Ham? <laughs> Not many. Mm. Um, he was on loan for... At us for a while, hasn't he? He's been everywhere. He definitely yeah. was at Southampton. And then he comes back from it and the interview is so extraordinary that it ended up picking up a lot of subscribers for us and going to a wide audience. But right. at the time, if you had said to me, Callum Davenport will be read by, you know, people from all kinds of clubs and a lot of people, I'd have probably raised my eyebrows. And it's really interesting that some of our most successful interviews have not been with the bigger names that we've done. How does that process work then? I mean, because obviously it's the vast majority of it, apart from some uh, uh, promo stuff, is behind the paywall, right? Mm. So if, because when you say to me, as you said, in an interview with, with Callum Davenport, it doesn't ring any massive bells or something that's going to be a huge hitter. Is it word of mouth predominantly? Are people, are people reading that initially and sharing it and then that's how it's, it's picking up speed and, and bringing they're in the They're sharing it and it's social media as well, right? right? Like there are a lot of football fans in that in that world mm. um and if you sell it in the correct way and make it clear that this is very interesting without sort of being too top spinny about it and sensationalist then i don't know people tend to find it and people do send interesting pieces about their clubs around don't they i think mm -hmm. um people have whatsapp groups with their friends and they'll say oh did you see right. this um may maybe less so with soft features i think more so with like really good piece of tactics or analytics. Oh, this is why we're conceding goals. Sure. Yeah. But it's hard because you, um, paywalled websites do struggle on search functions, don't they? Yes. I mean, you, you never see, or I've never seen an athletic piece come up on a Google search because I'm assuming that because the nature of like Google, that Google's site, metrics do not lend themselves to pay sites, sure. So does that, presumably then... <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not saying that you're resisting a temptation because I think you guys have, have got the way you do stuff quite well, but there's, there's clearly a balance between making stuff. How, how do you balance quality and virality? I guess if you're, if you're looking to overcome the fact that it's quite hard to find specific pieces, the temptation then is to do a certain sort of piece, but actually that's the antithesis of what you guys yeah, you just are seeking to, to do. You, you have to remember what you're doing it for and who you're doing it for. Because it's also, you've got to remember that already now we've got a lot of people who are already subscribers, right? So you've got to, it's not just about trying to find new people. It's about keeping the people who mm. are giving you their money, your customers happy. Um, and it's if like you what start, the old electricity companies used to do <laughs> before the modern world. Hmm? Sorry, I interrupted you for something that wasn't <laughs> worth interrupting. Oh, it's really strange. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. your, so we, 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 have to, we have to keep people happy and engaged and make sure that they want to continue to subscribe. It's not just about writing in a style or about certain teams so that 
more people hear about us. It's not about just getting them in the door. It's about them staying, right? Hmm. Okay, so back to your day. D- oh, yeah, we didn't get very thing. far. No, we didn't even drink water good. yet. Everything just uh, <laughs> spins out. You drink your water. Presumably you have, to, you have to read a lot of stuff as well, do you, to stay abreast? Or, or, or are you able to stay abreast because you have 20, 30, whatever yeah, journalists calling you, you every day and telling you everything? You more or less know what's going on, and there's a right. team of editors between us. <laughs> you know and that and the sky sport news yellow ticker right um i think we more or less know what's going on i hope most of the time it's about finding out what's going on that isn't already out there right like, right that's surely what makes us good at our job is trying to tell stories that aren't already stories right yeah how does one do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you do you have to just ask by having brilliant journalists yeah by having yeah. brilliant journalists who... i've seen the film spotlight is it like that is oh. it similar to that Oh, I could tell you a really boring story about that. No, um, do I won't. No, do do really. that. No, because I got Maybe so after. yeah. Okay, like I was sure. going to say down the pub, but I'm not going to the pub with you. So. No, sure. Okay. Um, it isn't completely different from that. I guess it's it's that you hope that there are people within those football clubs and the football world who trust your writers enough that they tell them information. Right. So a lot I of know, it is about trust. Bit, then it has to be yeah. Which is why presumably you find local journalists get the best stories a lot of the time because they're embedded in the yeah. community, right? Absolutely. Um, and, then, and it's hard work. The reason David Ornstein gets so many stories is because he works really hard to get on with a lot of people. And mm. when he's given the information, he doesn't turn it into more than it is. He tries to make sure there are two sides to it, even if that means painful conversations. Right. And, and be fair. Um, How do you become David Ornstein then? By working harder than everybody else. And by meeting the right people? By meeting lots of people and yeah. then enough of them will be the right people. Right, yeah. By having 20 meetings that bring nothing yeah. and then one that brings something right. and, not being, and not giving up. It sounds exhausting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean that dismissively and, and this is something I think that's... I had the same reaction when Mark Mosley came in and was talking about coaching and managing so he's a coach at Bournemouth he's a manager at Weymouth and just the degree to which he's never not thinking about football and stuff is happening and he's constantly Mm. on the phone and processing stuff and I think it's interesting for people to realize I think perhaps how much work goes into stuff that people can sometimes I don't want to say be dismissive of but you know if anything gets written it goes out there there's always going to be somebody who goes oh that was shit of course, because it's an opinions game. It and doesn't mean they're wrong either. No, it doesn't mean they're wrong. But I think the, the degree to which so much effort happens to make that, I think is it's something that still surprises me. And I sort of work in the area a bit. I've definitely put a lot of effort into stuff that you shit. Haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't put any effort into anything. But no. I, think, I, think that, I think that angle of it, it's just something people don't realise. I d- I think if you're a journalist, football journalist, and you work ridiculously hard, I don't think you'll be rubbish. Because I think if you do, if you're pointed enough in the right direction and work hard, you'll just find out information. And people think that football writing is all about writing. Like, there's loads of people who can write. Like Writing, I would say, is the far easier bit and the far less valuable bit. Mm. Finding out things that other people don't know is the far more valuable bit. Mm. It's, just a, it's just then a choice about how you present that. Whether yeah. you present that in a crash bang wallop yeah. way or whether you put that into a story that's a bit more written. Mm. And Again. having good ideas is tricky, I think. Yes. Do, you, do you ever worry that, uh, well, not worry is maybe the wrong word, but there's there's only so many times you can you can find the, the first coach of a particular player. There's a, that sort of style of writing or style of piece can become maybe a little hackneyed after a while. Are you, are you trying to... 
I think, again, it's about not doing it too much, right? And remembering that different pieces go to different audiences and how excited people get by football. So, yeah, if you took five Liverpool players and, and did that within a three-month period, yeah, it'd, be inc- it'd become incredibly boring and repetitive. But if you tell the story of Sadio Mane in Senegal, which we did, when no, literally no journalist had been there and told that story, mm. you know, I think that's pretty powerful. But then if that, that's okay and that's read by mainly Liverpool fans, but hopefully some wider audience, if you're then doing something similar but less extravagant with Sheffield Wednesday's right winger, you have to remember that those two pieces are probably not going to be read by the same people anyway. Yeah. You, you, you can get too sucked into like the journalism of it mm. and thinking, oh, what would journalists think? What would other people think? Well, hang on, who am I writing for? Yeah. Will, at the end of the day, will the Shepherd Wednesday fans find this piece interesting? Yes or no? Do you worry that people are perhaps less enthused by football than they used to be? Because... A, there's so much content out there mm. and so much of it is freely available and you can become, you know, if you're on Twitter and you've got Sky News, Sky Sports News and you go on whatever websites and so on, it's it's you can be consuming football content 24-7 if you're insane and that's what you want to do. Um, but also it seems to me football's, it's kind of fractious at the moment. There's a lot of reasons not to like it or not to like a lot of the stuff that goes on around it. And it feels like it's more that way than it was two or three years ago. You know, whether it's VAR or it's gambling or it's corruption or it's, you know, do you worry that people actually are kind of thinking, do you know what, I, I've had a bit in much of this, I'm going to ease off slightly. Or I just haven't seen that. A, I have nothing to compare that to, right? I'm, you know, I'm lucky now I work with loads of, great data and analytics, but I can't compare that to how it was two, three years ago. But I, I think even just down to basics of how many people are in, engage with what people write or tweet or say, or how many go to games and how many people are watching things on television, I still think that is huge. Mm. I, don't, I don't see some drop off yet. I might, I might be wrong. I think you know, there are issues in terms of people aren't, younger people aren't sitting down and watching 90-minute football matches anymore. Yeah. And that's a massive challenge for football. Maybe I mean less the sort of drop-off in engagement, but more an increase in cynicism and an increase in the expectation that it's going to be the same old shit coming from... Do you have to work against that harder? I think you have to... I, I think that's like sort of Twitter bubble stuff. Right. I just think like, if you went on Twitter enough, you would get that feeling. But Twitter's not the real world. Twitter's just sort of... Isn't few, it? It's just a few people. <laughs> yeah, but it can feel like it. Yeah, if you let it. Yeah. But wasn't... I'm just, about to, I'm just about to spout out some dreadful, completely inaccurate stat here, right? But I'm pretty sure after the election, someone said 3% of people in the UK are on Twitter, which made me go, hang on a second. Oh, like 97% mm. of people aren't. And we should kind of remember that. Mm. Can I throw out a, a stat that I'm is... Sure I, made that. I read yesterday that is not relevant to this conversation. Oh, great. Is it to do with glasses of water? Maybe. Uh, 31% of uh, men in the UK don't wash their hands after they've been to the toilet. No, only 31% do. No. 69% don't. No, that can't be right. Of men. And Mm -hmm. it's 65% of women do. So the huge, you know... Disparity. It's because of coronavirus. I was reading about it. Who admits that? 
Who admits that? I but guess people in anonymity. I mean, how do they find anything out? How do who admit? You know, they said something I shouldn't have said then. Was it sponsored? Was it a sponsored survey? I, it was the By first Sanex. thing on Google, and mm. I, you know, I said it to win an argument with my partner. I don't know if that's that. Well, does that give it a that was credibility? Helpful. It was helpful yeah. for me. Just a little break in proceedings for me to remind you that we are supported by the Athletic. If you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash tifo, you can get a seven day free trial. And you can get 50% off an annual subscription. That works out to about £2.50 per month. I think on recent episodes, I've been saying per week or per day. That's wrong. It is per month, uh, which is very affordable um, for excellent quality work, uh, much of which you will be hearing us talk about today. So that's theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. Seven day free trial, 50% off an annual subscription. You can really support the TIFO podcast by doing that and you can enjoy some reading time yourself. Anyway, that's all. Back to today's episode. Um, Do you think coronavirus is going to shut football down? It depends on how people choose to manage it and react. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like, I'm going to take the Jurgen Klopp answer. I'm just a football journalist. I'm not a health expert. Is that what he said? Questions. <laughs> well, he said he's a football manager, not oh, a football journalist. Yeah. But it was a good answer, wasn't it? Because mm. why would he know? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so you've you've had your glass of water. You've answered the phones. We're going to move to the banana in a minute. Okay, let's go to so the bananas next. And then what happens after the banana? After the banana, um, probably start to... I mean, there's always meetings. Just, there's always people to meet, but also mm. starting to research and work out what might be some really good longer term projects and ideas mm-hmm. um, because you can get so sucked into the conversations that it's nice to sort of take a bit of a change of pace and yeah. delve into like some weird Wikipedia black hole where you realise that you know, it's 10 years to the day since Les Ferdinand scored a diving header against somebody and... <laughs> Only the most important news. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, actually, people do hate, you know, war and coronavirus in life and sure. there's nothing they'd like more than to just read about that because it made them happy. Right. And they can all pretend that their lives used to be good then. Um, so there's a bit of that. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, the words start arriving, you know, lunchtime-ish. You start reading quite a lot and you go, right, is this good enough? Does this need more does it need less does it need to be different and then we go through the process of editing our pieces how is that divvied up just the writers there's a kind of bunch of more there's a bunch of senior editors who do read things first to make sure it sort of is good enough right and then they get edited for more like grammar and headlines and making sure that they make sense in a slightly more kind of language way right and do you read everything Oh, it's literally impossible. Not a chance. No. What do you not read? <laughs> if, it just depends. If, uh, it, it so much depends on where I am and what I'm doing. Right, yeah. And it's not, yeah, it's not like, oh, I will read all the Tottenham stuff because that's what I know about. It's just, it will just depend. I like, I like, I like to make a habit important. of reading everything. Right. Uh, sorry, not reading everything, and then reading everyone so that yeah. I don't just go three months and go, oh, hang on, is our Aston Villa writer still any good? Right, yeah. You've got to make sure you kind of have that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So you do lots of, reading and deciding you know does this need special graphics does this need a particular social media strategy um yeah does it you have quite big conversations about how it should be sold in terms of headline and picture and things like that Mm. and then you read and read and read lots because that is our job fundamentally to make sure that we're putting interesting content out and then we go home and i bath my children and put them to bed and then do a little bit more work right 
Do you often find yourself thinking about it when you're going to sleep? I'm getting better at not. I have very... Yeah. God, this sounds like... This sounds ridiculous, but it's true. That the people I work with are ridiculously good. And so that we, div we divide up the week so that someone is on a late every night. Right. So there's one night. So last night I was the designated person to sit and watch all the football and talk to all the writers who at the game that night. And my brain is dominated by that. Right. The other nights in a week, it's someone else's job. Now, it doesn't mean that if there's something important going on that I won't be watching it and aware of it. But if you trust the people around you, you're not sitting there going, oh my God, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. And also we are... We're not as tied to those games either, hopefully, if we've done our job right. So are your, uh, are your weekends dominated by watching football? Yeah, I mean, I, w I work quite a lot of weekends, inevitably, because right. when you're a football journalist, you have to accept that football happens at weekends. Um, I watch quite a lot. Like, again, like since I've had children, not as much as I used to when I was a young person, mm. when you sort of don't miss a single goal. And I used to sit down and watch the Italian league and the French league and the Spanish league. Right. But yeah, you try and... You try and watch what matters. And, um, yeah. And how much stock do you put in titling of articles? Oh, like, quite a lot. Uh, how does the process work at The Athletic? Is it, does it the just process, the editor it's an who's opinion. doing it? It's like someone says... Do you talk about it as a group, or is it... Depends. If sometimes if you think, I've read this piece and I'm struggling to come up with the right way of doing it. Mm. But it's, you know, putting a headline on something, you know, what are you trying to do? You're trying to reflect fairly what is in the piece whilst making it appealing can you think of the your favorite headline that you've done in your time at the athletic at the athletic no god knows i can't i can't remember <laughs> i can't you, i don't know you've just is signed the correct terminology james horncastle has just joined joined your staff yeah. the pieces when they start they do a piece called why i've joined okay yeah um i saw the totty thing yeah it's fun um is that because is it because james is particularly good and has a particular profile or is it because you wanted a Serie A thing it's both. and he's the right guy for that? It's both. I mean, obviously Serie A is a very, very big and popular football league and it has some really famous people in it like someone called Ronaldo and Ashley Young. And um, so it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, we think there is a market there for people to read in depth about Italian football in English and James is stand out the best person there in my opinion. Yeah. So it was... It, it is both. Would you be precluded from covering a league that was interesting if you didn't feel there was someone good enough to do it? Or would you try and fit someone to it? No, I think I think you can do it that way. You just have to possibly be a bit more patient and realise it would take time for them to build up contacts, information, profile. You know, I mean, a lot of our writers who started on Premier League and Championship clubs, I mean, you know, Southampton's a great example, your, your team, didn't start with any kind of background working, working around those clubs. They've had mm. to go down, move to somewhere in the country they've not lived before and get to know people and understand the club's history and understand the fans and try and make contacts and get sources in dressing rooms and things. And it's a car, car Southampton's a great example of on day one, what did he know about Southampton? Very little. What does he know now? A lot. Mm. <laughs> Doesn't mean that he knows exactly what 20 years of history means because he hasn't been covering them for 20 years but you have to start somewhere and if someone's bright enough and switched on enough then it can be done mm. uh, 
I would like to say that my favourite uh, article which has been released by The Athletic was Daniel Taylor's piece on the story of uh, the two kids who uh, eventually ended up like moving in with Brian Clough. Do you remember that one? I do. It was Danny's first piece. It was unbelievable. It was amazing, wasn't it? Oh, it was so emotional. I remember reading that. It was very, very moving. What is your favourite piece, if you have one? I don't know if you're allowed to do you know, upset anyone. but uh, is there upset anyone. Just you're asking out? me questions I've not thought about. Um... I mean, that, that was incredibly good. I really, really loved Oliver Kay in Senegal mm. because that was Liverpool Man City Day and it, it was us trying to show that we were different and be interesting. So all the top journalists were at Liverpool Man City mm-hmm. writing about that game and rightly so, writing excellent pieces. They're all, you know, bloody good at what they do. And we had someone on the other side of the world doing something equally interesting but completely different and it... It showed me that, you know, you can be a bit bold. That was, that was a great piece. It was, it was, as, it was, as a Southampton fan, obviously, of course, you know, we really like him. Cause but we got so lucky. I mean, yeah. you know, he turned up there, the family welcomed him in to watch the game with him and then he scored. Like, so I just remember sitting there going, oh my God, this, is, <laughs> this just couldn't be any more perfect. Sort of messaging Ollie, you know, and he's sending me videos of Sadio's family, like jumping up and down. And, and sometimes something just comes together. So I, I particularly love that piece because it's just the sort of journalism that mm. is really rewarding and hopefully, and it also works and it's still interesting now. If you were to find that piece today, it wasn't about that game. It was yeah. about Sadio Mane. Yeah, that's true. How do, how do you become you? How does someone become you? Not you specifically, but how does someone do your job? Where did you begin? I began by doing loads of really unglamorous work experiences in like during uni and doing the uni paper. Right. And getting like just turned down from everyone telling me that I'd never make it, usual cliches. Mm. And then went, because I did French and Spanish and I went to work on papers for a year in France and Argentina. Oh, wow. Which is really good fun. And I think, I'm not sure like how much I learnt by doing that, but it looked good on a CV. Mm. And that fooled the mail into putting me on their graduate scheme as a sub-editor, which was very much correcting really good writers' grammar and writing headlines and learning how to do that. And then I just kind of like gnawed away and became annoying until they gave me slightly different jobs and did a bit of writing, used my languages to do bits and pieces because there weren't that many people speaking Mm. French and Spanish at that time. So I got sent to some pretty cool places. Did the London Olympics, um, which was needless to say amazing. And then realised that although I quite liked writing, it wasn't really what gave me a buzz. I liked bossing people around. It's just the control. I'm just a complete and utter control freak. And therefore sort of moved on to the desk management side of things. And that went well. And then left for the Times because that just found it exciting and I wanted to learn how a different style of media and paper did it. Mm. Loved that. And just when I thought I was going to be there for a long time, these funny American people called me. You, you, can we talk about that a little bit about the process of leaving and starting and how? Yeah, you... I'm not going to tell you the truth, but we can try. <laughs> how? So when you uh, accepted the job, did you accept it quickly, or were you? It wasn't really long. Um, I had a good sort of dig around and made sure I wasn't sort of making some terrible mistake. Mm. Um, but I kind of knew it was too exciting not to do. I, the thought of someone else doing that job was what made me take the job. Right. It's mm. like okay. can you imagine if someone else would have got to do it? Mm. That's just 
not an option. We it's had been... Ed uh, Malion in here um, earlier in the season, we, and we, I remember him talking about a big uh, whiteboard or something with lots of names of uh, people who, you know, it was the dream signings. Do you, were, you, were you there for that? Do you remember that? No, so Ed's original whiteboard was before they approached me. Okay, so your name would have been on the whiteboard. I assume so. If yeah. not, they've made a really big mistake. <laughs> they asked everyone else and exactly. no one was interested. Exactly. Right? So no, there was, there, I did see a whiteboard at some point and some lists, but I was not there for right. the whiteboard moment. That okay. Will obviously be, that'll be in the film, right? Right. Yeah. The film. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like spotlight. I do. I do want to hear what you have to say. I haven't <laughs> yeah. forgotten about that. I really want to know which actor is going to play my banana. Mm. I wonder which actor would play you in the film. That's a good question, isn't it? That's the sort of question they ask on pop feature podcasts. Well, the only person I've ever been told I look a little bit like, and this is going to sound really weird, is Nanny the footballer. <laughs> which I don't see. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's yeah. No, I can. <laughs> Right, you dear. do look a bit like that. <laughs> so if he's available, we could go down that route. I never would have. I never would have seen that unless you said it. But now you have. Yeah. The, um, I can see it. <laughs> is it is it weird having? Because obviously there was the the GQ story last yes. month, possibly the yes. Washington Post put something out this week or last week or whenever. I don't know when this is going out. Um, is it weird? becoming part of the story when you're a journalist uh, yes and the oddest thing about it and this was more to do with like some of the stuff that ends up in private eye is you realize that like people just make stuff up mm. and like you shouldn't trust journalists um <laughs> there was there was, the stuff, athletic. <laughs> there was there was stuff about me in private eye and buzzfeed in places that was, was literally fabricated what did they the say i was frog marched out of the times oh i heard that never yeah, happened heard that. yeah um quotes i heard that made from numerous up, people literally quotes like in quotes things that i really? said that i never said in my life and so uh, i have to say i found it quite weird at first and i got a little bit angry you know it was in the middle of that period when we were hiring something and it was all very stressful and tense and i remember mm. being like Oh, I'm going to get in touch with them. I'm going to do something about yeah. it. And then realise, no, take a deep breath, move on. It doesn't actually matter. Right. But yeah, it does. When that happens to you, it is a bit odd. Do you think it's part of the the sort of bubble and you were talking about a Twitter bubble earlier and that, that the rest of the media can't help but reflexively kind of navel gaze and look at... Oh. Absolutely. You guys just want to get on with it and do stuff, and yeah, no, but we all bigger. we all love it to a degree. Journalists love talking about journalists. Journalists love writing about journalists. Journalists think journalists are important. We're not. This is what we're doing now. Yeah, but you guys have been. This is, this is an outrage. A bit. <laughs> it's a bit it's an e- it was an easy win, though. So yeah, you know. <laughs> but but there's. I mean, there's. I try and find a nice way of saying it. The Athletic has been unusually bullshy in terms of how it's entered the marketplace. Yes. And do you think that has stirred up a bit of like, mm, who are these people kind of thing? I, th- I think inevitably, you know, when you launch something from scratch with a lot of people and you need it to succeed, you need to make a lot of noise. And I, ca- I can imagine some people find us annoying in that sense. But, that, but at the same time, I don't think we're doing anything terrible. Right? We've, we're creating writing about football. We've created a bunch of jobs, which has been really, really good in an industry that's been shrinking for quite a long time, sadly. So I don't think anything terrible has happened. Some people will like what we do. Some people will think it's a load of old rubbish. And that's okay. Like, no, again, it's not about right or wrong. It's just that maybe our products are some people and not for others. Uh, you know, I 
I think I think there's just like so many ridiculously talented football journalists in this country of like different types from written to broadcast to podcast in tabloids in broadsheets in podcasts I, I, I just don't understand YouTube. oh yeah you oh YouTube what, is that well. on the internet yeah that's right. the one yeah um, the big red one I only learned how to do a gif last week so you gotta bear with me <laughs> I don't know how to do a gif so oh, I'll, sh- I'll show impressive. you it's really good and you know the emoji where you do on twitter where you do the finger that points down to something to tell people to read it oh yeah I know how to do that nice yeah okay we'll swap stories afterwards uh, something something I think I was saying something like and there's kind of room for everyone to exist and I really do believe that mm-hmm. and just some people are going to get a bit angry about us but hopefully they'll see that we're not actually doing anything horrible mm. Hey, so what's what are you uh, hoping for for the future for the athletic and you? Oh, me, I'm fine. I'm just. I mean, what does that matter? More, I don't know. More I, bananas. Yeah, yeah, probably. Don't derail the series. I think question. if we if, if if there weren't any more bananas, then it'd be like, what would I have for breakfast? If I didn't have breakfast, I'd get a bit narky. Are you then, only eating a banana for breakfast? Yeah. Is that all? Yeah. You don't eat anything else other than that. No. I need to not eat many calories in the morning because I eat lots of chocolate in the afternoon. Okay. My brother okay. gave me a very serious lecture on how good bananas are for you. No, very good. I just thought maybe a bit more. A bit more. Can I ask specifically, when do you eat the chocolate? Do you find that it's at a time of the day where the thing you're doing is quite laborious or are you No, bored? it just depends on the mood I'm in and where, right. what chocolate I have access to. Okay. Are there often chocolates in the in the office, or do you have to bring your own chocolate? Depends. Sometimes you know, like people run to M and S and get those tubs, like the four for mm-hmm. two, four pounds. Do people send you chocolates to ingratiate themselves with you? No, but you, you're more than welcome to. But if <laughs> I, what I'm into at the moment, and I is um, Easter eggs, yep. just whole Easter eggs. When so, is Easter? Yeah. It's, it's pretty soon, isn't it? Okay. It's well, it's not irrelevant because presumably you can't buy Easter eggs most of the time. Well, you I think you'll find that. you can buy them for at least four months of the year. They put them out uh, at the Which first day of February, I think. Of the time. Oh, no, they were in... Uh, sorry, that's a bit sad that I know no, no, they were probably in like, the day after Christmas. Right, yeah, yeah okay. Like, yeah. What is it about Easter eggs that you like? I like that they don't have any edges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> but do answer my question though the future of the athletic what are you hoping for just, I mean do you do the same thing as you're doing now which is a very very good thing or do you have like, big plans that you want to announce here and now or yeah, do I can you have, uh, for the first time <laughs> um, is there a, like, to, a big thing you want to have you got a thing have I got a thing the thing, thing is to, that people feel more than they do now that they have to read it mm. because it is so relevant and so important and occasionally groundbreaking or investigative mm. that it can provide the pleasant read that you just want to take 10 minutes to escape from your life from. But also that, you know, in, in America, they broke a story in baseball. I don't understand baseball, so I'm not going to even pretend like it's something to do with signaling and the Astros. Yeah. Like, it's a massive story <clears throat> and it changed, the, it, it's, it has changed baseball mm. and massive punishments have been put you know handed down like if we can occasionally break stories that make a big difference that's great i'm not saying that is the be all and end all because i really don't think it is Mm. i think i think football actually is about escaping your life why do you go to football why do you watch football you do it because it is the opposite of politics and brexit and war and coronavirus and i think our job is to provide that escape rather than um fall too often into the other half of it Mm. um which is the anti-spotlight, taking yeah. it. But then they were news journalists, not sports journalists. 
Right. So, so the, so the plan is, yes, to make sure sometimes you're more relevant and more important mm. in terms of the work you do and then to hopefully serve as many clubs as is financially viable. Okay. Hey, well, that's all the questions I have. Have you got any more? No, I'm still processing the no edges thing. <laughs> uh, Alex Kajelski, thanks for coming in. Absolute pleasure. Much appreciated. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll speak to you again as your story develops. How about that? I'll, I'll be bringing the next big exclusive. Good. Yeah, that would, be, that would be nice. Atifa, please. Okay. way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC.